Hey, fanboy nation. This is your pal Daffy Duck, and you're watching. You're watching. We're watching. You're watching. Fanboy. 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 A fanboy, etc. Fanboy nation. God, I assume Tom. Today I am speaking with the director of Monster Force Zero, Nathan Letier, who's got a cast of well-recognized guys from the 80s and 90s and a bunch of new people that are in there. Uh, the film follows a group of sci-fi cosplayers that end up with real superpowers. This has got to be a fun one, man. Um, you know what? It was very fun to make. And, uh, yeah, uh, very happy to have such a cool cast and crew that were followed me on this journey. <laughs> um, when, I, when I was reading it, I was like, all right, I know Garrett Wong, one of the super nicest guys on the face of the planet from Star Trek yeah. Voyager. yeah. And then the big selling point, as soon as I saw his name, I was like, that's it, I'm sold. Uh, <laughs> Pat Tanaka, man. Yeah, Every, that's Everyone awesome. laughs when I was just like, dude, Pat Tanaka's in a movie. And they're like, the guy from the <laughs> Orient Express? I was like, yeah, and Bad Company and the Diamond Exchange and all that stuff. But yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, Pat, Pat Tanaka's amazing. And I was so happy that he was uh, down to be in this video, or I should say this film for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not a short film, dude. It's, you know, <laughs> But what was, what was the catalyst for this? Because you're out in Colorado, um, or at least originally. So I know there's Denver Comic Con out there. And, of course, San Diego is the granddaddy of them all. The most fun one of them all is uh, is Dragon Con in Atlanta. So how did all of this come about for you? Because I know Kevin Smith has done, uh, what, the last Jay and Silent Bob reboot took place at San Diego Comic Con and so on and so forth. So, you know, comic conventions have kind of taken over the world for the past 10 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, it all started with our executive producer and writer, uh, Mike Pasito. Uh, he, um, got the idea from a kind of a, a smaller Comic Con, pop culture con in Colorado Springs, Colorado, of all places. Um, it was, uh, it's, it's not around anymore. Uh, the name of the con was called Galaxy Fest, and, um, it was definitely more pop culture con mixed, a little bit of everything, uh, that you can think of was there. And he just got the idea. About these guys, uh, Monster Four Zero, you know, just trying to sell their comic book, just like most of the folks at these cons are usually doing, they're trying to sell their artwork, trying to get known, trying to, you know, be discovered, I guess you could say, or just make a buck or two. And so, yeah, he started the, uh, with the, with the initial story, and then I jumped on board and helped him write the remainder of the script. And then, funny story, he met Pat, um, in his travels, Pat's knock in his travels. Um, I think they were just at a hotel. Uh, they just kind of bumped into each other, you know, grabbing a, some food at a bar and next thing you know, they had a conversation and they exchanged numbers and he was like, I got, we got to work with this dude, man. <laughs> so yeah. So that was his, that was his history, I guess. Right. It's this, uh, Hey, here's this badass second generation wrestler. Uh, <laughs> whose dad was a big deal on top of everything else. And the yeah. guy got some like crazy stories from the road. Oh, dude. <laughs> he does. I always joke that, uh, you know, the Chappelle show and, uh, Charlie Murphy would tell us stories about Rick James and Prince and stuff. I always joke that I'd love to do a show where just Pat Tanaka talks about his road stories and we reenact them. <laughs> so. Here's the funny thing with that. Like, if you if you didn't know who Pat Tanaka was and you heard these road stories, you'd be like, man, that guy's so full of it. And then you realize like who the wrestlers were in the 80s and 90s. And you're like, no, wait, that sounds pretty legit, you know, pre-social media. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, even down to like, you know, Back then, everything was cash and checks and stuff, and just the idea of, like, these guys would go from city to city with just briefcases and full of <laughs> their earnings, and yeah, it's just, the stories are insane, man. I mean, I couldn't imagine what it would have been like. <laughs> Honestly, you and I probably wouldn't have survived 
<laughs> no, <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. Like, <laughs> Not I, think, at all. I think pro wrestlers and cockroaches are the only thing that are going to be able to survive a nuclear war if they, if they wrestled between 1965 and 1998. They will save us, man. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, they will be our saviors. <laughs> There's just going to be some guy coming out of the EC, you know, ECW locker room still thinking that it's showtime going, I can't oh my God. with whatever. I can do it. Yeah, spandex ready to go, <laughs> belly shirt, belly shirt on, face paint, war paints going. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know, um, with the movie itself, like, dude, visually it looks great. And when you realize it's not a, most of the superhero movies we see are three hundred million dollar pictures. Yeah, and then we got like the Suicide Squad coming out, and then we had you know Avengers and all this stuff. Um, this is closer to a budget of what the specials had, but actual with actual special effects because that one, you know. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, didn't, ha- didn't have the, uh, the finances for it. When you get to see with a limited budget, what you were able to pull off that has this like 80 sci-fi vibe, you know, how excited are you? Because it came out really well and you've got, you guys won quite a few awards for it. You know, I, I, for, I really appreciate you bringing that up and there's so much hard work that went on behind the scenes to, to make those effects happen. And it took, I mean, I thought you were talking about a year of work, uh, <laughs> just on the effects alone. Um, so, you know, thank you for that. And, and at the same time, too, I know there's so much more that I wish we could have done, and a lot of it was lack of time. But I think, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head with the 80s sci-fi vibe. I mean, that was kind of the idea. Um, I always would say as we were making it, like, you know, we're able to do things that they weren't able to do back in the 80s just with Final Cut and, you know, Premiere and After Effects. And ideally, that was just going into it. We're like, you know what? It's just going to look like an 80s film. We're going to own it because we don't have the budget. <laughs> so let's just, like, rock it and make it look as like it was a film that was transported from 1987 to now, right? Um, so, yeah. So, no, I mean, it was just... That, that was the goal was to just make it feel like that and at the same time just own our limitations and just let the film be what it what it was and, uh, you know ultimately in the end but the cool thing about it is, is that like it has that that making of a grindhouse cult film you know like you guys could sit there and like fill up theaters forever for midnight madness <laughs> Dude, that's that's awesome to hear you say I mean I you know I would love for that to for to, to be that way I mean no, for sure. I mean, I actually am trying to, I'm playing a drinking game to go with it. So, <laughs> and, and here's something that, that you need to be able to brag about. Uh, yeah. you have the most Asian characters in a superhero film. So you have Pat Tanaka, you have, uh, Delena Wynn, and then Garrett Wong on top of it. So you have three, three East Asian actors in the film. Yeah. No, no, for sure. I mean, you know what? Um, I, I will say I'm very proud of the diversity of the cast, and honestly, it just ha- it all happened. The folks who, um, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, we had to do a little bit to get Garrett involved and, and, and Pat involved, but the folks who all auditioned, I mean, it was a very diverse group of folks, um, all out of Colorado, um, and uh, everybody just had a cool look, a cool vibe, and and, a, and great enthusiasm to want to be a part of it, and and it just happened, you know? So I just, I think it's awesome that it just, that's the way it is. <laughs> well, what I most commend you about more so than anything, especially with the diversity of the cast, I mean, you know, Italians, Russians, uh, Japanese, Chinese, uh, Vietnamese, everybody's in, in the thing. We're going through mm-hmm. everybody's ethnicity at this point. But like, it wasn't a point of the film. Like, you didn't have to hit anybody over the head and go, this actor is Russian. Pat's Japanese. Yeah. Don't forget that. 
Delana <laughs> Lin is, is is Vietnamese. Remember, she's Vietnamese. Like you didn't yeah. have to do that. Like they're just there. It's like yeah, you know, like what I what I hate a lot a lot about female driven movies. Uh, in most instances is that they don't let the character just be the character. They have to posture at some point and go, remember, I'm a strong, independent woman. Well, you got top billing and you're in 95% of the film. So I assumed you're the star of the film and the heroine. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Um, there's some amazing movies that have already come out in the past 20, 30 years where there was already these very powerful lead women and they didn't have to do exactly what you're saying, right? Right, like Alien did right. that, you know, or Alien yeah. did that over 40 years ago. So, yeah, uh, yeah, Sarah Connor, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, there's so many of them that are already killing it, especially even in that lower-budget world. Yeah. They're already killing it. So, yeah, the fact that we have to snap zoom on somebody and remind, you know, our audience that they're right. a woman or something is, I, I don't know, I hopefully can move on from that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't know why it regressed into that the last five years, when we've had 40, almost 50 years uh, of strong female-driven characters that we didn't need that posturing. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, For sure, man. One thing I wanted to ask you, uh, Eon Cruz and Iona Cruz, I assume they're mother and daughter? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, she, yeah, Iona was, uh, she was in the Comic-Con party scene. If you, if you look closely, you'll see this little mini Harley Quinn from the, uh, the 90s Batman uh, uh, series, you'll see her in there somewhere occasionally <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> dancing around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was just like, the, these two, his names are really close. I hope they're related and it wasn't just some weird coincidence. Although that right? yeah. Fun. yeah, no, I mean, and, and Ayanna's like a little mini me to, to her mom. They, they're like almost identical and they're both super funny and really outgoing and, and, and diehard. Like, I mean, all, all, everybody in their own way has contributed to, to uh, promoting and being a part of the film, but like, man, they went out to Berlin for our, uh, the sci-fi Berlin sci-fi film festival because I wasn't able to make it, but they were the ones that went out there to be the face of the film. So hats off off to them for traveling thousands of miles just <laughs> to push our movie. <laughs> yeah, it's also a trip to Berlin, so you can't be too upset about it. You know? Yeah, no, not at all. And, and actually, I did get to meet the programmers. I was out there. And, uh, so we, we had a few beers and, and a lot of laughs and they were pretty cool people. Um, but unfortunately I wasn't able to go to the actual film. It actually played at the uh, same theater that, uh, Metropolis, I believe, premiered at, um, back at, way back in the day. So, I mean, that was pretty awesome. But how, how exciting is that? You know, Metropolis premiered roughly 98 years ago in the same theater that your movie's coming out in 2020. Yeah, dude. I have a big grin right now, if you could see it. <laughs> I, I just think it was amazing. I wish I was there, but I got to at least see the theater, you know, and, and hang out with the guys. So it was the next best thing. <laughs> uh, for people that don't understand the, the film festival circuit, because, it, you know, I mean, you, you have to pay to submit your film to get in there. And, you know, not all it's not always selected. But when a film is selected and then it's gone international, like how, how much more special is that? Cause I mean, domestically, it's obviously great. Hey, I live in Colorado. It's going to premiere in Colorado. That's cool for home. Oh, this one in LA picked it up. Oh, that one in New York picked it up. That's super cool. Oh, I get a trip to Miami. You know, Miami's awesome. But when it goes international and then you end up in Germany, you end up in Greece, you end up in France, you end up, you know, Egypt or wherever, you know, how much more exciting is that when it goes overseas? Dude, it it's, I think it's, it's, it's awesome. I mean, the fact that there's folks from, I mean, just the, it, it, the fact that anybody would just want to watch it and then give you an opportunity for, you know, to let others come and see it. Um, 
but for it to just be in a another place, yeah, I, it's it's just so cool. I, I don't know how else to describe it. I just think it's just amazing that uh, they picked it up and that we could have you know say that we've been to Berlin, right? So yeah. <laughs> it's just awesome. <laughs> I mean, that, that's got to be the fun part about it all. Uh, mm-hmm. and all this, you know, it's, it's kind of like vindication. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I talked to a bunch of other pro wrestlers and since Pat's in the movie, I got to mention the pro wrestling connection with this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Pat throughout his career has always been a part of instant gratification. You know, the crowd reaction is always there. You know, they're booing him, they're cheering him, uh, whatever's going on in the ring, they're storytelling in person. It, it's theater. Um, mm-hmm. When you make a film, and this, when when did you complete this? I'm going to guess 2018, and then took it through the film circuit, and then of course there's a delayed release because of the world going to hell right now. Um, yeah. What? How difficult is that delayed reaction for a filmmaker? Because for someone like Pat, who lived in the ring and on the road, it was instant gratification. So, mm-hmm. is it more meaningful when eventually it's released and you get that reaction? Or is it just like about time? You know, like how does that work, especially yeah. for, for you? Because everyone's different. So, yeah, for sure. I, I think there's stages of of this process for me. I can't say the same for most other filmmakers. So the first stage for me was just the opportunity. Um, so that was my crowd screaming for me while I was, um, you know, in the ring, right? Um, but then, uh, then making the film, and and honestly. The cast and the crew, everybody involved, like everybody left still liking each other. A lot of films can't say that. Uh, everybody left the film still like a lot of the, a lot of the crew went off to help each other out on that, their own projects and the actors are working with each other on other projects. Um, so there's that, that phase of just knowing that you kind of walked away and everybody walked away knowing that they were part of something special. And, and then the third phase was, yeah, completing it and and actually having it done and to be able to screen it with everybody. And then you go to the festival phase and then you get distribution and then now it's going to come out in October. So yeah, I think in a way for me, I had, we had these different milestones that we hit that were fun wins. Um, but that being said, it just, I really wanted to get out there and I finally want folks to see it and hear what people think and now yeah now i'm at this anticipation this this moment of ah, we're finally here <laughs> you know it's like uh our kid our baby just went from preschool and now they're getting out of college right <laughs> and then maybe they'll get her master's and that'll be the sequel i don't know so. <laughs> <laughs> well w- will there be a sequel for this because i mean it's fun enough that it could get one yeah that's a very good question and uh, i think it's just we gotta see you know i mean at the end of the day the film um, as, as Mike, our, uh, executive producer says, you know, the film's gonna speak for itself. And, um, I think we have to just see how it's received. And, um, yeah, uh, you know, we'll just kind of take it from there. Um, obviously we'll, we'll want to kind of, you know, get it out a little bit quicker <laughs> than last time. But, uh, yeah, I would, I would love to. I have some really fun ideas. Uh, so does Mike. And we've all kind of thrown some things around. So yeah, maybe, maybe there will be. I dig it, man, because, you know, there's so much going on in this world that we got to have some fun, especially now. Like I was telling somebody the other day, we have this uh, ebb and flow where like the fifties, we were riding high with the musicals and stuff. Sixties mm-hmm. after the Kennedy assassination, everything went dark and gritty. Seventies, we started picking up and having a little more fun. Eighties, we hit the high note, had a ton of fun. AIDS hit big time across the, uh, across the world. Nineties got depressing, you know, 
2000s, we had fun, we got depressed again, and I think we're ready for an upturn of just uh, enjoying ourselves. And you know, if if there's any way to to really lift spirits, it's going to be our Yeti Yeti boot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeti will save us. I, I jokingly said I was going to make like Yeti for president, you know, 2020 shirts, but um, not trying to go there, you know, in the conversation. But yeah, you know, right. I, he's such a joy, and I think, yeah, if if our our if our film can bring a little. You know, crack a little smile to somebody's face, then we'll see. There's you a know, I, that's all that president. He's Canadian. <laughs> uh, you know, I, yeah, actually, I mean, or is he from another planet? I don't know. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, because most of the Yetis, you know, that unless you're yeah. from the Alaskan border, then he can be. So, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it's dual citizenship. You yeah. know, <laughs> his, his mom, father, his, his father's in the Colorado so. mountains somewhere. <laughs> <There you Bigfoot>. Dude, the, the costumes in this are fun too. Like, are are any of the the actors in the film actual cosplayers and just brought their own gear, or like, how did the costuming come about? Because a lot of it yeah. is like fun stuff that people put together or you know had had already. I'm so glad you brought up the costumes, and I think that's something that um, a lot of us we neglect to talk about. So, yes, um, it was fifty fifty in a lot of ways. Um, some of the actors do cosplay. Um, so, uh, 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 Omid, Omid Harrison, he was the, uh, uh, the Assassin's Creed-like character on the, uh, antagonistic cosplay team, the Destroyers of Destruction. Um, he pieced that together, him and his brother cosplay and have done, um, some various things with that. And, uh, so that was all him. And, um, Yeti Boot, uh, Shale LePage, he put a lot of effort into that one. We actually found a guy... Um, who sculpted Yeti's face, the whole mask and everything for, uh, uh, for us. And then we pieced some other things together. Of course, the moon boots were something we ordered and the goggles we ordered to add those. Um, a- um, Aeon cosplays, like you could totally, if you go to her Instagram, you'll see everything that she's done. Um, and so she contributed a good portion of that costume, uh, as well. And then the rest of it was just, idea, you know, that most of the ideas that I had for the characters and a lot of it coming from Mike's kind of description of what they were like. Um, so yeah, yeah. So yeah, 50, 50 cosplayers kind of built the, the, the actors built it and then we kind of throw things together. And honestly, I would say it's no different than, uh, this could be argued of course, but no different than I think most cosplayers. They just, you know, taking popsicle sticks and uh, gluing together, uh, you know, styrofoam and having to spray paint it, you know what I mean? Just to try to make it look like the thing that they're trying to portray. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, a lot of that, a lot of, a lot of tears and sweat went into making <laughs> those costumes. So, <laughs> well, I, I remember I was at a convention once and the pettiest argument I ever heard regarding a costume was the about, it was from one female cosplayer about another female cosplayer and she had complained the the other one that everyone was uh, fawning over had hey. store bought boots, <laughs> and I, okay. you know, like she didn't make all her costume, and I was like, apparently you have to be a cobbler now, to, yeah, to be super legit, and I was yeah. <laughs> like, I have to walk away, I can't listen to this. Yeah, well, you know, man, I mean, that's definitely yeah, it's definitely a, a battle or a fight to stay out of, because <laughs> yeah. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Because, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I dare I say, I don't think, I, I, maybe there's not a wrong way. I mean, definitely the heart's in the right spot. Um, I, I think, um, if you love the character so much and you have this opportunity to 
to be that character without anybody judging you for this joy that this character brings you. I think at the end of the day, we should just all like accept the fact that we can at least be ourselves for a moment. You know, some of us can't, you know, be out in public and <laughs> some of the things that you wear at a comic con. Right. So the fact that you can be there and do that, I think is just amazing. And, you know, and yeah, I guess you might get judgment for your boots, but hey, <laughs> you know, at least, at least we're all, <laughs> you know, in a place where we can all be, you know, at least try to be ourselves for a day or two, right? So. Hey, store bought yeah. or homemade, just enjoy the costume. But yeah, 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 the boot thing made me laugh way too much. I was just like, who yeah. makes their own shoes? Yeah, well, yeah. What's, what's interesting is, uh, Final Boss, the other on the, 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 uh, the Destroyers of Destruction side, he's the one, uh, um, who's the Russian, um, his, he actually had platform boots on, which are funny, and they were really expensive. So hats off if you can afford to even buy some kick-ass boots. <laughs> so. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> what has been cosplayers' reaction to the film if they've seen it at the film festivals? Because you've been to quite a few geeky film festivals, so, like, what's their reaction mm-hmm. to this? Like, did some of them take it as, like, a jab, like, oh, that hit too close to home? Or did some of them, like, oh, I know so-and-so who's exactly like that character? Yeah, so, dare I say, I mean, we haven't had an opportunity to really screen it with the, in front of a lot of cosplayers and a lot of it's been because of the pandemic. Um, we actually had a few awesome opportunities that would have just been fantastic for us and it, they, they fell through. Um, but on the more localized level, just, uh, mostly folks that we, you know, are kind of too close, uh, to the folks that were involved in the film that seen as better cosplayers. The feedback they had was they totally get it. You know, and, and there's been some really good positive feedback. No jabs, no close to home kind of moments. Um, so unfortunately, yeah, we haven't had the opportunity to really get the, the fit in front of a lot of cosplayers. Now, I will say on the ancient alien side, um, we had had some opportunities to get some really, really cool feedback from folks who, surprisingly, there's a lot of folks who are really into ancient aliens more than I thought. You know, outside of just like watching the show on, on History Channel. <laughs> well, you clearly have not been to AlienCon yet. No, I no, I have not. Um, we tried to do Roswell, and again, there's been a few places that every the pandemic was happening and everything started closing up. So, no, I w- we would love the small groups of folks like at I believe it's at Kapow Film Festival and the uh, uh, one other one that was out there, um, we talked to folks who were just like, next thing you know, I was just getting emails. Like, you gotta throw it here. You gotta try it here. <laughs> so they really love the, the angle. And I guess not too many people really outside of, you know, the series on, on history. And not, not a lot of folks are really dabbling in the ancient aliens realm of things and movies, I guess. So. <laughs> well, I, I had interviewed the, the executive producer of ancient aliens and I jokingly accused him of theft of one of my ideas. Oh no. <laughs> uh, it was, it was total just like ribbing, but it was hilarious because my friends and I were, were talking about Bigfoot one day and, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, I can't believe nobody found him. He doesn't exist. And I, as a joke, I just flat out said, that's cause he uses wormholes, stupid. And then ah. like, three months later, they did an episode of Bigfoot and they were talking about Bigfoot using wormholes and that's why we couldn't find him. I was like, <laughs> one of your people is eavesdropping on my conversations uh-huh. and stealing my stuff. 
so, so you're saying there's a conspiracy, right? And, uh, yeah, that's funny. There, there's a conspiracy in the cryptozoology <laughs> world that's stealing my worthless. <laughs> Man, I think that's cool though. Yeah. <laughs> Bigfoot coming through wormholes. I mean, why not? Right. You know, I mean, Einstein's all about that. Probably yeah. all about it. He would be all about it at least. Now we know how to get Yeti from one place to another when he unlocks his powers in the sequel. Yeah, well, you know what? Now you're going to come at me when... <laughs> no, you just got to give me credit for it, and that's it. Okay, that's all right. right. Yeah. And special thank you. Yeah, yeah that's what that. it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's about it. Just one line. Yeah. Special thanks. Boom, that's it. We're good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, I, I, you know, I'd like to, on the note of kind of the backtrack, sorry, I was oh, just thinking please. about the, the cosplay angle. Um, one thing I will note, um, there's, in the movie, so kind of like in a nutshell, the our our main cosplay team, Monster Four Zero, is gonna go up to this 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 after party. Um and on their way up, they're waiting at an elevator, and that's when they first meet Patsanaka, and Patsanaka kinda of says to him, like, who are you guys supposed to be, you know? Like, what's your thing, right? And if you're a cosplayer or if you go to, you know, Comic Cons, that's typically what ends up happening. People are asking what your costume is and stuff like that. And I was at a con um, around the time where we were rewriting Monster Four Zero, and I remember going into one of these uh, co- uh, cosplay contests, and um, and it's just kind of typical. But there was this one gal in particular, and I can't remember what she was wearing. It might have been like a Gundam suit that she made out of like styrofoam, but she was like decked out in this like really cool like bionic arms and stuff, and um, it was all made out of like styrofoam and stuff. But uh, in the movie, he asks, you know, what are you guys supposed to be? And um, AI, you know, the, the stands for Anaki Intelligence, you know, says who they are. He's like, we're Monster Four Zero. We're a ragtag team of outcasts, tech nerds. You know, he's like getting into it. And and I love that we were trying to capture that same moment that this gal had on the stage. Because then she, like, kind of walks across the stage and she's like, I am such and such and this arm is able to crush 5,000 pounds of, you know, <laughs> and just the way, and, and when cosplayers do that, like, I just love it, man. And they get so, like, immersed into their character and they can speak with such authority and, like, just confidence, you know, not, you know, not that they don't have that outside of it, but I just love it when a character comes to life like that and, we try to capture a lot of that throughout the movie, you know, that feeling of like the cosplay competition, the cosplayers like being proud of their characters, you know. Oh, for sure. See, um, I, I know so many of those people that like that. That seems to be the norm, but it's always more fun for me when the cosplayer doesn't know who the creator of the character is. Like, I'll give you. An oh, I was hello, at, layers. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I was at yeah. a convention, and I'm bringing this up because we're still talking about the cosplay and, and how it pertains to this. And I don't want to say who the creator was or what the character was because you know you, you never know if this that person's listening. But we're at this convention, and she and she's dressed exactly as the character. And so she's like, "Ugh, that guy keeps smiling at me. It's getting creepy." And I was like, "Who?" And she's like, "That guy over there." And she points to him. And I look at the guy, and I'm looking at the giant banner behind him, and the costume <laughs> she's wearing is the character in the center of his banner. Uh-huh. And I'm like, you don't know who that is? And she's just like, just some old guy. And I'm like, yeah, that's the guy who created you. So I'm happy that you're wearing his character. Like, didn't you even look like three inches to the left of his head to see what was behind him in the banner? 
Uh, I mean, I didn't like. I didn't get like you know up yeah. with her like that or or angry. I was just like, that's the guy that created the character you're wearing. I I think he's just happy. And then she, of course, went over there and said hi and took a f- photo with him. But, <laughs> so it's stuff like that that makes me laugh more so than anything. Yeah, I, I I'll be honest. I can I'm guilty fifty percent of the time, but then I'm also the one too where I'm like, I'll give you the whole like background, yeah. <laughs> the un, unsolicited uh, history of this this individual. <laughs> yeah, um, you're just like, oh yeah, that's Stan Lee. What are you? <laughs> right. Well, it wasn't Stan, but it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like. Yeah, but, by then she would know at least it was Stanley. Right, right but, but this guy was almost on like Stanley recognizability level in, yeah. in the book world. Yeah, yeah. so to sit wow. there and like, really, you didn't know that you're wearing his character? So, oh, that's awesome. You know, that there, happens. Oh yeah, there's always funny stories like that in uh, you know in the industry and uh, in convention life and everything else, man. Um, <laughs> I have to ask, I know the, the movie starts streaming on VOD October 13th, so we're excited for you for that. Awesome, thanks. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta put that in, of course, you know, especially where they yeah. can find you, you know, iTunes, uh, what's it called, Amazon, every, every other uh, streaming service available that, that you guys are on. But since you had a limited budget with this and you weren't able to do everything you wanted to do, was there something that, was left on the cutting room floor or that had to be cut out of the script for budgeting purposes that you really wanted in the movie? Eh. Oh, man. Well, I mean, the original script was like 120 pages (laughs) (laughs) or something like that. It might have been 130. (laughs) Um, Gosh, I got to think back. I I do know uh, there's a... Uh, not to spoil anything, but there is a Yeti and a Sasquatch fight scene. Um, that, that was supposed to be much more in depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, and the, the Sasquatch actually had little minions that were, um, supposed to like back him up. And it was supposed to be like this all out, you know, battle royale kind of thing. But, uh, there, there's things like that. There was the fighting was supposed to be more in depth. Uh, in the scrimmage sanctum, for instance, we had to have, more towers than were displayed. Um, they were supposed to be way taller <laughs> um, to, to raise the stakes, you know. Um, so I think maybe more in the, may, yeah, maybe a little bit in the the production design, you know, that would have been nice to have more there. Um, and then to be able to expand upon some of the bigger fight scenes that were supposed to happen. Uh, so, yeah, I guess if that answers your question, that would yeah. be it. No, because, you know, it's stuff like that that comes into uh, into play where you're wondering what more could I have done. Um, yeah. You know, or you want yeah. to – or you can save it for the sequel. No, no, for sure. I mean uh, – As the, you can tell, we're pushing for a sequel, so. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I, I, I would have I would have really liked to have maybe more, uh, you know, somebody to assist in the, the visual effects. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, at the same time, like, I don't want to – I'm not, I don't want to sound like I would be dogging the way it came out. I mean, I really like the the look of it. And as you, we mentioned earlier, it kind of throwing back to that era of more, more practical style effects and the visual, you know, the visual, I guess, CGI, if you want to call it that, was, you know, a guy that was like animating it frame by frame back then. You know what I mean? And a lot of that is actually in this film, too. There's a lot of frame by frame, you know, effects that had to happen. And, um, 
so I kind of like that. I like seeing the, the the blood and sweat drip off of the effect, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, but it's also yeah, I'll save it for the sequel, right? But it's also got to be interesting to see, like, if this movie was made in 1987, it would have easily been a three million dollar picture, you know, mm-hmm. in comparison to what you guys pulled off. Uh, with possibly a smaller budget. I don't know what the, what mm-hmm. the financials of it was, but you know, it's, in, mm-hmm. that's how far technology has come to give it that same look at a cheaper rate than what it would have been as considered, you know, mid tech or high tech back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I always like to say, you know, <laughs> I, there's a lot of really great documentaries of, you know, from classic filmmakers, you know, you name, name a filmmaker going all the way back to the forties or whatever, even to Fritz Lang's Metropolis, right? Like what would he have done with after effects? You know what I mean? <laughs> like just having it in his basement. <laughs> um, and I know like Hitchcock, like he was always trying to do like crazy shots that would nowadays you could do with a drone. Like, you just fly a drone into a window and you have the shot where back then you had to like match cut shots in order to achieve the same thing. Right. It's, and I think like, not that I'm anywhere in the caliber of those, those fine, fine, uh, classic filmmakers. But that being said, it's more of like, God, I have the ability to do something and I can do it, you know? And I, I think at least it's great to have at least these tools at our disposal, you know? Right. And you so. also don't need a three ton crane to pull it off. You just need, you know, like you said, a, uh, a, a drone and, you know, your 4k camera. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, if you've seen like behind the scenes of how they made 1917, mm-hmm. the, 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 the made it look like one entire shot. I mean, just the complexity of how they had to even pull that off in today's world of technology without having to just resort to a CGI kind of set up like they do in a Marvel movie, you know, like they really pulled that one take look, obviously it was stitched together. Um, but by having to get creative, you know, in a practical sense, um, and then they married the technology in order to pull it off. Right. I, I think, yeah, I think it's just amazing what we can do now. And on the lower level, anybody who's wanting to make their film, I mean, if you have after effects and premiere pro on a camera, you know, yeah, there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing it. So, <laughs> Well, hopefully, like the 90s, we're going to get a, a new wave of uh, indie films coming out that are going mm-hmm. to be story-driven, like what you pulled off with this. You gave us a lot of fun in, uh, in a movie that was supposed to originally be two-plus hours and uh, a little more than 90 minutes now so we're, you know, for the short attention span people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I got to ask you uh, real quick, What um, do you have a favorite moment or... I was curious, anything, not to put you on the spot, but something, that, a scene that you really liked or something that stood out, I'm just, I just would like to know as an audience member. I just thought it was funny when you have these, like, cosplay gangs battling each other. <laughs> and I was just like, like, it, it gave me a bit of a flashback to, like, Breaking 2, uh, Electric Boogaloo, where they're sitting there and there's a rival dance crew. And they had like nunchucks and trash can lids and they were doing a whole dance routine in that, in, in, in breaking two. So like uh-huh. the rivalry, cause I don't want to give out spoilers, but like the rivalry between the two cosplay groups kind of gave me a flashback to that scene. And I was uh-huh. like, dude, this is like, it's funny, but I could see this happening for real at some point. Uh-huh. Like cosplay gangs, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. problems for each other. Yeah. That's, that's cool. And it's cool that you brought. I, I've only, I've never, I have to watch 
uh, break into all the way through. I have seen the scenes you're talking about, though. Um, <laughs> the dance combat, as, they, as you would want to call it. But uh, I, you know, let me just say, I, I absolutely love I, South Park. Mm-hmm. And what's great is South Park has, has introduced me to to lots of films. I mean, who would have thought that, right? right. Um, but they're so good in their, their writing that they'll reference things. You have no idea. And if you do the research, you're like, Oh my God, there's like five movies that they just referenced in this, in this one episode. So those guys like in their own way might be film historians for all we know. Right. But so there's an episode called Aspen and, um, the boys go to Aspen because their parents got duped into this timeshare. I love um, that episode. It's so good. And they're, they're, they're spoofing three other movies. Um, I think a movie called hot dog and, mm-hmm. Uh, ski, ski school, I think, and, um, and there's one character in particular who is literally guns laser in our movie, the, 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 you know, the hot shot, you know, has been whatever. <laughs> and I just, I love those characters, man. I just love how ridiculously larger than life they are. And in real life, there's people like that that do exist too in their own way. Oh, yeah. Um, it's like Uncle Rico from, uh, Napoleon Dynamite. You just have these guys that, and some gals who just just don't leave 1987, you know? <laughs> <laughs> They're just stuck there. They're still listening to metal, and they have a reel-to-reel. And, hey, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, because I do. But it's, like, yeah, still, like, still they, they haven't. I'm cool with it, man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But they haven't left it, you know? Yeah. They haven't, like, <laughs> they still watch that same movie. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I don't want to dog it, because I do it, too. But <laughs> there's the ones that go way too far. <laughs> Right, yeah. and then they then they try to bring other people down because they're not like with it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I got. So, what do you mean yeah. you haven't seen Back to the Future Three yet? You know, I get. <laughs> Dude, I got it right now. We can go watch it. VHS exactly. <laughs> director's cut, laser disc edition. Yeah, I, I well, laser disc. All right, now we're going. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, in forty-five minutes, I got to flip it over at some point and kill the action right in the center of it, but it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. But yeah, no, yeah, no, I just love, yeah, no, yeah. just, anyways, not to go on a tangent on that, but yeah. yeah it's those, cool, man, because you love yeah. film, that's the thing, and, and you yeah. love what you're doing. And you know, Colorado isn't no, necessarily known as a hotbed for films, you know, like Atlanta's become a big deal, Texas is, is getting there, uh, even at, people are going to Alabama and New Mexico to film stuff, so it's great to see that Colorado's doing stuff as well. Yeah, you know, there's, some really good work out here, man. Some really good projects, uh, from all over the state. Um, and, and honestly, you'd be surprised what's shot out here. Um, I think a lot of it, our incentives aren't the best and that's always just been a struggle here in Colorado. Um, and then we also have a history of some blacklisting that has happened here due to poly- you know, some politics and things like that. And, um, but I think it's starting to kind of dust itself off and, you know, at least in the mainstream sense, but, yeah, we just got to get past what some of the mistakes that have happened in the past. And, um, but as far as like the talent, man, dude, there's so much talent, but New Mexico gets them. <laughs> New Mexico's, you know, everybody has to go down to New Mexico to make something. So, right. um, yeah. but yeah, the, the talent that happens up here though, man, gosh, you just, you can find there's some really good work out here. Well, I'm glad you're pulling stuff off out there, man. You know, uh, your film's a lot of fun. I'm glad that I, the the tough part about talking to a filmmaker, especially, you know, when you can't give spoilers past the trailer uh-huh. is because, you know, you don't want to spoil it for everybody else. Because I know there's a I, – I don't mind spoilers personally, but I know there's a ton of people that, like, 
if you spoil it past like the you know the first act, they're like, that's it, I'm done. I don't want to see the movie. You ruined mm-hmm. it for me, so I don't want yeah, to ruin yeah. it for those people. You know? Yeah, but, no, I understand that. But you're having fun. It's made in earnest, so it's not spoofing itself, which which is quite enjoyable. Uh, there's tongue in cheek moments, but you know you're having fun. That's the whole point of the movie is to have fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, totally. Uh, I told our lead actor to watch uh, Big Trouble in Little China and and basically have as much fun as uh, as uh, Kurt Russell was having, you know, making that movie. So, I mean, everybody, you know, nobody was was blind to the fact that we were making something that was, yeah, had some tongue-in-cheek moments that was a little larger than life from itself. And uh, just go ahead and enjoy these characters and let's just have fun making a movie. Awesome, man. Well, yeah. Nathan Latier, I thank you so much for your time. Monster Force Zero is on demand October 13th. Where can everybody find you guys on social media if they want to follow the film or just you in general and see what you're up to? Yeah, for sure. So uh, pretty much everything's at Monster Force Zero. Uh, we do a lot on the Facebook, and then we um, basically re- you know, retweet anything on Twitter as far as like press and stuff. So those are two main spots. We are on Instagram. Um, yeah, my social media presence is not as amazing, but I mean, you know, you, you can follow me too. I'm on Twitter and I'm, uh, I'm on Facebook as well. Um, and uh, yeah, and you can follow the other actors. I encourage people to research the other actors as well. They're all doing some pretty amazing things right now. So uh, you might have a fun little rabbit hole of what you might find with what they're working on these days too. Awesome, man. Well, just like the rabbit hole of following the ancient alien stuff, we got to follow uh, Monster <laughs> Four Zero and see what's going from there. But keep me posted on what you got after this too, man. All right on. I appreciate it, RC. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. I'll talk to you later, Nathan.